a little girl was listening to her mother tell about some of the great Bible stories and the characters in the Bible. Uh, Men like Moses and Joshua and Samson and Daniel, you know, those great Bible heroes. Finally, after listening for a while, this little girl turned to her mother and said these words. She said, Mommy, you know, God was much more exciting back then. (laughs) Have you ever felt like that? I mean, we, we read these Bible stories and we see God's awesome workings and we see these heroes of the faith. And then we look around us and we look at us. We look at our lives. We look at the world in which we live and we begin to think, you know, that little girl is right. It does seem that God was much more exciting back then. You know, Gideon felt that way as well. In fact, if you go and read the very first words that he speaks in Scripture, it seems like he's echoing that little girl. Listen to what he says in Judges 6.13. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And, and where are all his miracles, which our father told us about saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. You know, that verse doesn't sound a whole lot like the Gideon that you learned about in growing up in Sunday school, does it? The great hero of the faith. We remember Gideon, the hero. We forget that he didn't start out that way. We're going to begin a brand new sermon series today. You can be turning your Bibles to the book of Judges. You start in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, if you'll be finding that. And we're calling this series Trumpets and Empty Pitchers, the life of Gideon. And today we're going to invite you into Gideon's world. We're going to see what it was like where Gideon lived, what things were like. We're going to see what he was like before he was the well-known Bible hero that we read about and study. We're going to set the stage this morning for our entire series. You know, in the book of Judges, as you're finding that, we have a very sad account in the lives of the children of Israel. In fact, the last verse of Judges is really the key verse in many ways. The very last verse of Judges said, in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that's pretty much a good summary of what much of the book is about. There was no king and everybody did what they thought was right. John Phillips summarized the book in a very great way. He said, of course, it's the sad sequel to the book of Joshua. He said, the book of Joshua, you're in the heavenlies. They're typified. But in Judges, it's all about the earthlies. Joshua rings with shouts of victory, whereas Judges echoes with sobs of defeat. In Judges, we go round and around. There's rebellion and retribution and uh, repentance and then restoration. And this goes on this cycle six or seven times. This cycles through the book of Judges. In other words, the people sin and God disciplines them. Finally, they repent and God restores them. He sends a judge, a deliverer, if you will. And this goes on and on and on throughout the book of Judges. They kind of get a grasp of it. Look at chapter 2 to begin with this morning and find verse 13. You see some of a picture of this in Joshua beginning at uh, chapter 2, verse 13. It says in Joshua 2, 13, they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreths. 
And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity. As the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Now notice verse 16. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. So this cycle goes on and on throughout the book of Judges. Now fast forward to chapter 6 where Gideon is. And on your way, stop at chapter 5, the very last verse. I want to show you something before we read chapter 6. Judges chapter 6 and stop off. At the very last verse of chapter 5. And I want you to see what's going on right before we get into chapter 6. Of course, we have in chapter 5 the song of Deborah. And if you look at the very last verse, and the very last part of that verse, it says this. So the land had rest for 40 years. The land had rest for 40 years. Now keep that in mind. Let's begin reading today's passage in chapter 6. Then the land had rest for 40 years. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown... Midianites would come up, also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in, new, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Verse seven. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all those who oppressed you. And drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not fear the gods, of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Verse 11. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the Abia's right, which his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Verse 13, Gideon said to him, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us. And delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Welcome to Gideon's world. And I want you to notice that Gideon's world was filled, first of all, with regression. Regression. Look back at verse 1. It says, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They regressed. They went back. The land had rest 40 years. 
And instead of praising God and rejoicing in what God had done for them for all those 40 years, it says they did evil in the sight of the Lord. It's a reminder that you can hide your sin from many people, but you'll never hide it from God. But you know what? The children of Israel weren't even hiding their sin. They were sinning not in the dark, but in the daylight for all to see. Drop down to verse 25. I want you to see what it says here. Verse 25. Now it came to pass the same night the Lord said to him, notice this, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal. Now notice this next part that your father has and the wooden image that is beside it. Come down to verse 30. Then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die because he's torn down the altar of Baal and because he's cut down the wooden image that was beside it. Very clearly here they had turned to the worship of Baal. They had turned to a false god. They had disobeyed God. Exodus 21 through 6. God spake all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you to the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children of the third and fourth generations to those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. They had turned from God. They had turned to idols. They had turned to Baal. Regression. They went back. They went back. The world where Gideon lived was filled with idolatry, even in his own backyard. Take the one your father has and tear it down. It's a world filled with rebellion and evil and sin. His world was filled with regression. Secondly, this regression led to oppression. His world was filled with oppression. Go back to chapter 6, the second part of verse 1. It says, the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Seven years. Oppression. Now, the question is, why? Why did God deliver them? I mean, it says God delivered them, right? God handed them over to the Midianites and some Amalekites and those others mentioned there. Why? Well, hear me clearly. He did that because he loved them, because he cared for them. Say, preacher, that makes no sense. If he loved them and cared for them, why in the world would he give them to these people? Why would he put them under oppression? Well, listen to these verses. Mark it down your margin there. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. Listen as I read them. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Jot down Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Those, that reference. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Just as a father does, uh, so is a father, the son in whom he delights. He did this because he loved them. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said this. The Lord does not permit his children to sin successfully. The Lord does not permit his sin or children to sin successfully. 
This oppression went on for seven long years. Here's the picture. How many gardeners do we have today? Let me see your hand. How many gardeners? Raise them high. You're getting ready to get busy, aren't you? Get out there in the sunshine. I want you to picture this for a moment. Imagine, if you will, you go out and you begin to break up ground. And you plant the seed and you water it and you weed it and you chop and you work and you sweat. You do all of that in your garden. And then right as things are beginning to come to full fruition and you're about to pluck the fruit of your labors and have that good old tomato sandwich with mayonnaise running down your face. Just at that point, somebody comes in and steals all your vegetables, steals all your food. That make you happy. That's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. Look, if you will, beginning there at verse three. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also, Amalekites filled the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel. And notice what else it says. They not only took their produce and destroyed what they didn't take. They also took their sheep and their ox. And donkeys, they took their livestock. It says, where well, they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number and they would enter the land to destroy it. That's what's happening. And the children of Israel could not stop them. They could not stop them. You see, these invaders had the latest in military technology. You know what the latest in military technology was back then? Look at verse number five. It says that they came and their camels, camels were the latest in military technology. And they came in on these camels and it says there were so many of them. It was like a swarm of locusts coming in and they would swarm in at harvest time and they would leave Israel poor as a church mouse. And they would come in and take all their produce and livestock and impoverish them. And beloved, this is where Gideon lives. This is Gideon's world. This is what he's facing. This is what he's dealing with. We think of Gideon the hero. But here's Gideon at the beginning. When God begins to work in his life. He's living in a world that's filled with regression. They're sinning against God. He lives in a world that's filled with oppression. God has given them over to these enemies. And they're oppressing them and impoverishing them. We can naturally say then that Gideon's world was also filled with depression. Depression. In fact, the Israelites were in hiding. Notice verse number two again. It says the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves and the strongholds which are in the mountains. They were fleeing from their homes, fleeing from their land up in the mountains in caves and dens, seeking to hide themselves to protect themselves from what was going on. Verse five, look at it again, says. Verse number five says that they were uh, verse six, rather, they were greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. In fact, when you meet Gideon, he's doing something very interesting. He's threshing wheat. If you'll notice, verse 11 says that the angel of the Lord came and sat down. It says that Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press. You say, what's so great about that? Well, listen, you don't thresh wheat in a wine press. Normally, they would thresh wheat uh, where the wind could get to the wheat. And as they threshed it, the wind would blow away the chaff and leave behind that which was good. 
But instead, he's down in the wine press threshing wheat. Why? It says there in verse 11, in order to hide it from the Midianites. In other words, what wheat they didn't get, Gideon had it. He's down there beating it, trying to get a little bit of food, a little bit of something to take care of his family. Do you get the picture? Not a pretty picture. We'll look at more about what Gideon says in a moment, but I want to show you what the Lord did here. It says finally that the people cried out to the Lord in verse number seven. Now, this has been going on for seven years, right? It says back in verse number one, the Lord delivered them to the hand of Midian for seven years. How long it took them to cry out, I do not know. But they finally cry out to God. But I want you to notice the words of verses six and seven very carefully. It says there, so Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. The children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And notice this next phrase. Because of the Midianites. You say, well, what's so great about that phrase, preacher? I want you to notice it does not say that the children of Israel cried to the Lord because of their sin. It does not say they cried out because of their rebellion. It does not say they cried out because of their evil. It does not say they cried out to God because they offended a righteous, holy God. It says they cried out to God because of the Midianites. So what are you getting at? Well, I believe. The children of Israel were more concerned with the consequences of their sin rather than the sin itself. They were more concerned about relief rather than repentance. They were like those who are not sorry that they sinned. They're sorry they got caught. And there's a great difference, beloved. There's a great difference between having sorrow over getting caught and having sorrow over your sin. Now, God is going to send a deliverer and a judge. But before he does that, he sends a prophet. He sends a preacher. And this preacher that he sends gets right at the heart of their problem. He says, listen, you have disobeyed God. In other words, your real problem, Israel, is not the Midianites. It's your own sinful heart. God has given you over to the Midianites and these oppressors because he loves you. He's chasing you and he wants to bring you back to himself. Gary Enrich in his commentary on the judges was right. He said this. It is far easier to blame God for our problems than to recognize and deal with our sins and responsibilities. It's far easier to blame God. It's far easier to lay the blame at his feet. And that's what Gideon's doing here. Is he not? Verse 13, he's wrong in his thinking. It says in verse 13, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us. Listen, God has forsaken us. No, Gideon, he hasn't forsaken you. He hasn't forsaken you. In reality, you've forsaken him. Israel's forsaken God. God was at work all along. In those seven years of hardship, God was at work. He gave to the Midianites so that they might come back to him. It was all because of his love and his care. He had not forsaken them. Gideon, he's not forsaken you. In fact, you're speaking to him. Look back again. 
Verse 11 says the angel of the Lord came and sat under this tree. Drop down to verse 12. It says the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Drop down, if you would, please, to verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, drop down, if you would, please, to verse 16. And the Lord said to him, this, we believe, beloved, is a pre-incarnate visit from the Lord Jesus Christ. A theophany or Christophany. The Lord Jesus himself, this angel of the Lord, this messenger of the Lord. We believe this is Jesus himself speaking to Gideon. Now, I want you to get a hold of that. Rather than forsaking them, Jesus came to them. Rather than leaving them to themselves, he comes to them and Gideon is speaking with the Lord. Gideon says, well, God did all those miracles in the past. God was more exciting back then. What about that God? Listen, Gideon, the problem is not with God. The problem's with you and Israel. That's the problem. Now, I'll be honest, we don't know if Gideon participated in this Baal worship or not. I personally think he did not. But his thinking was at least wrong, real wrong. His theology was messed up. He was walking by sight rather than by faith. He thought God was against them rather than being for them. His thinking was wrong. The Israelites living was wrong. The blame lies at their feet, not God's. And what they needed was not just regret over the consequences of their sin. What they needed was repentance and a returning to God. Hear that, beloved. Now, what about you and your world? What about where you are today? Is God more exciting in the pages of Scripture than he is in your own life? Think about that. Be honest today. Don't you feel like that little girl at times? Seems like God was so exciting back then. What about now? What about our God now? Do you even know God today? Maybe you're here today. You've never returned from your sin to Christ. You never entered a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus through by grace through faith. I invite you today to turn from your sin to Christ. I invite you today to receive Christ. For those of us who know him, I'm going to ask you a very personal question. I don't want you to answer out loud, but I want you to answer this question in your own heart. How close are you to the Lord this morning? How close to you to the Lord? How close are you to the Lord this morning? Would you be honest with yourself today before God? Listen. You ever got behind a couple in a pickup truck, a man and a woman? And that man is driving the pickup truck and you look from behind and you see that this shadow and the outline of their persons. And you notice that that woman is sitting right in the middle, right up next to him. I mean, it looks like she's so close you couldn't squeeze a, a Kleenex through the two of them. Now, there's only two in the truck, by the way. She's got plenty of room on the other side, but she's there right beside him, and they're riding along in that pickup truck. And, and I want to say to you, most of the time, I can guarantee you one of two things. I can guarantee you, number one, they're either still dating, or number two, they just got married. Because <laughs> what happens? What happens is, after they've been married a while, she begins to move over a little bit, and a little bit, a little bit more, and a little bit more, a little bit more. And most old married couples want their own side and their own space. Some of you have their own bedrooms. That's a whole other story. But listen, how about you when you first got saved? How close were you to God? How excited were you about the Lord Jesus Christ? How excited were you about the gospel? You were probably like most of you, you're on fire for the Lord. You love the Lord. You're sold out to Jesus. And yet, now it's been many years. 
Maybe you're like that lady. And she slides over. And you get further away from the Lord. I understand that there was actually a wife that was complaining to her husband about this one time. About the fact they used to sit so close together. And her husband's driving and listening. And he finally listened and said very clearly, I haven't moved. (laughs) He's still in the same place. Listen, God hasn't moved. God is perfect. He's unchangeable. He's holy and righteous and just. God hasn't moved. If you're away from God this morning, it's your fault. You say, well... This not it's your fault. Christian, you've chosen that. You've chosen to move away from God. How close are you to the Lord? What did I say earlier? It's far easier to blame God for our problems. It's far easier to say, well, God's forsaken us and God has done this. And God, Listen, it's far easier to do that and say, listen, it's my own sin. It's my own responsibility. It's my own fault. Let's lay the blame where it belongs this morning, believer. James 4, 7-9 says this, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll do what? He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Why? Because you're far from God. We know the source of our troubles most of the time, don't we? It's me, it's me, oh Lord. I don't know about you, but I have more problems with myself than anybody else. How about you? I have more problems with Rodney Clements than anybody else. We know the source of our problems many times, but thank God we know the solution. We know the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 9 says that we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, Gideon's world was a world that was filled with regression. They went away from God. They turned from God. It was filled with oppression. God was working in their life trying to get their attention to bring them back. It was filled with depression. They were impoverished and struggling along and finally cried out to God for deliverance and help. See, these people and judges needed more than just regret. They needed repentance and a returning to God Almighty. And I want to say to you, beloved, we need the same today. We need the same today. We need more than just regret. We need repentance. We need a returning to God. We need revival. Some have asked, what are the Sunday night prayer meetings about? They're about repentance, returning to God and revival. That's what they're about. I want to ask you today, will you allow God, the Holy Spirit, to shine his light upon your life and your heart? Will you allow him full and open access to your life today? And as he points out things in your life, will you turn from them to him today? Will you repent of those things, forsake those things today? In a moment, we're going to have our closing song where the altar is going to be open. And today, friend, as God the Holy Spirit leads, you need to come in repentance. Now, if you need to be saved today, we want you to come when we start singing. We'll get somebody to take a Bible and share with you the gospel. If you're already saved today, as we sing this closing song, and God the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart and life, I want you to respond to the invitation in repentance. Say, listen, God, 
The problem's not with you. The problem's with me. The problem's with us. Forgive us, oh God, and help us to be on fire for you. Would you come today as we sing our closing hymn? Father, I pray now that you'll take charge of this invitation. That you'll work in hearts and lives. Oh God, I pray your will be accomplished. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn this morning, 309. I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming. The altar's open. You can say today, come. God, the Holy Spirit's touching your heart today. Come and pray and give it to Him. Repent. Be refreshed. Let's stand and sing for you.